Ellie was devastated. As sweethearts held hands and meandered down the streets, their little ones zipped between them, slipping on the snow as they welcomed the new year. Another year, and still no family of her own, and next year didn't look too good either. She looked in the mirror and sighed. There were wrinkles sneaking their way around her eyes, and the occasional silver streak tarnished her hair, turning them slowly from raven to more of a charcoal, and the old shine was fading. She still had the energy to work her small farm, but she was definitely more beat at the end of the day than she had ever been before. She had to face it. She was past her prime. She frowned, her fists clenched. She knew she shouldn't. She really knew it, but... If she didn't do it now, this year, no better time would come. Time was moving on without her, and she was powerless to stop it. She threw on her hat, shawl, mittens, overcoats, and boots with an extra pair of woolly socks, and then threw open the door. The snow climbed up over her ankles and into her boots. It scraped against her skin and melted, soaking into her socks. She was soaked and somehow both frozen and flushed, shivering and sweating as she approached the cottage in the middle of the woods. It was a stone cottage grown over with thorny vines that had been made ashen by the winter. In the gloomy winter every evening, it felt ominous. The light from a single candle shone through the window. Sybil, the woman no one spoke to, the one everyone looked away from, the witch, she shivered. She had never spoken to a witch before. Did they really sell their souls to Satan? Did they really have his brand on their body? She clenched the meager amount of coin she could spare and decided she didn't care. She didn't have any evil intentions, and, and she needed this. With a shaky fist, she knocked on the door. Sybil's gray, wiry hair hung over her dead eye. The other eye was a bright, venomous green. She looked questioningly at Ellie but said nothing, just stared without asking the obvious question. I, I need your help, Ellie cried without preamble. I want, I need a tiny little child, a child of my own. Please, I just don't want to be alone anymore, and I, I can pay. Sybil raised a hand to stop her and beckoned her inside. Inside the cabin seemed even colder than the winter chill, Shadows danced around the walls, and cobwebs hovered around the corners. Sybil moved slowly and unsteadily, and opened a few drawers of an old black chest of drawers with silver knobs. When she spoke, her voice cracked and rasped like a raven. A child! Ellie jumped. She had never heard Sybil speak before, and had been distracted by the curtains of brightly colored pendants, jewels, coins, and odd knickknacks piled high on the shelves and dangling from every surface. All were dulled by a coat of dust like the ground after the first gentle snowfall. E yes, a tiny little child of my very own. A tiny little child. The other woman smirked, and Ellie thought of all of the t old tales of gin and other magical creatures who longed to help you by hurting you and twisting your wishes. Sybil pulled a tiny bag from the top drawer of the chest and held it out to Ellie, but the hag refused to hand it over until Ellie gave her all the coins she carried, and then, with shocking speed, she stuffed the money into her shawl and grabbed Ellie by the wrist. Plant it in a flower pot and love it well. 
Ellie agreed, thanked her profusely, and barreled out the door. She made her way home in what felt like half the time it took to get there and emptied the tiny bag onto the table. Barley corn? One tiny piece of barley corn. She sighed and her eyes burned as much as her frostbitten body. It figured she would get swindled, stupid old fool. She planted the seed, figuring it wouldn't do any harm, and then cried herself to sleep. Winter passed, and on the day that the last traces of snow had melted, a large, beautiful tulip bud shot up from the pot where she had planted the barley corn. Overwhelmed by its beauty, she gently kissed the bud, which blossomed into the loveliest red and yellow tulips she had ever seen. Inside the blossom was a tiny little child, almost a young woman, and beautiful as the blossom she came from. And she was about the size of Ellie's thumb. She named her Thumbelina. Ellie loved the child so much that she didn't even have time to roll her eyes at the technicality she had been caught in. After all, new mothers have a ton of work to do. She did her best to make her home safe for her teeny little daughter, and even made her a tiny bed out of a walnut shell with violet petals for a mattress and blankets. They passed the time happily, Ellie working on the farm and Thumbelina rowing her tiny lily petal boat with a single white horsehair for an oar. Thumbelina was everything Ellie wanted. She was kind, chatty, and lovely, the perfect companion for Ellie. Well, well worth a cold hike in the woods, anyway. They loved spending time together, outside, enjoying the flowers and the warmth of the sun on their skin, the songs of the birds and the frogs. Sometimes they would even sing songs of their own. It was perfect. Until one night, when one of the frogs who had heard their song returned after sunset, snapped the walnut shell closed, and swept the tiny girl away into the night. Whew! That got intense, guys. Welcome to Southern Fried Storytime. This is our very first episode, and we're covering Hans Christian Andersen's Thumbelina. So let's talk about the story a little bit right here in the intermission. It was written by Anderson while... And while Disney did eventually buy 20th Century Fox, the film version of this story was not made by Disney at the time. That's probably why it's a bit closer to the actual fairy tale than we normally see from Disney. Tiny protagonists were a very popular subject for tales at the time Anderson wrote this. It was partially inspired by Tom Thumb and then partially inspired by himself. Hans Christian Andersen is famous for writing stories about misfits, having felt like kind of a misfit himself. And so this was really the first of what would eventually turn into stories like The Little Mermaid and things like that, where he liked to write about kind of literal fishes out of water. There are lots of different versions of this tale that we'll discuss at the end of the story, but they have the same overall theme and are incredibly similar. Overall, Thumbelina is about two things, kindness and how scary the world can be when you have no control over your own life and others choose your destiny. Literally anyone can control this poor tiny little girl because she's no bigger than a thumb. My thumb's probably about two, two and a half inches, so this is a little kid, guys. Greed also plays a major role in this story, with everyone trying to use Thumbelina to their own ends. While the beetle and the mole are nearly opposite characters, their desire to own and control Thumbelina is very similar. 
The prince is the only one that she chooses in return. So while the other's greed constantly gets her in trouble, her own kindness is often what gets her out of it. She saves the swallow, and he helps her escape. How? Well, let's get back to the story. Thumbelina stretched and opened her eyes slowly, only to snap them shut. It was so bright. It wasn't until her eyes adjusted that her heart dropped into her stomach. She had no idea where she was. Her tiny walnut bed was plopped in the middle of a lily pad in the middle of a still mill pond. The wet smell of strong sunshine on mud flooded her senses. She was just getting her sense of balance on the lily pad when plop. A wet, sloppy sound squelched behind her. She whipped around so hard that her own hair smacked her in the face. Once she shoved it out of her eyes, she saw a huge, greenish-brown lady frog. Good morning, she croaked. I couldn't help overhearing your beautiful singing night after night. And when I saw your beautiful face, I knew... I had found my son's one true love. But, uh, but I... I have been waiting and watching a long time. And I know you would just be perfect. But, uh, that's, that's really not... Now, no need to thank me. I'll introduce you now. With an even louder, wetter plop, the lily pad rocked and jerked violently. A huge, fat, brown frog. Thumbelina had never wished so hard that she had learned how to swim. The frog's son said nothing, just stared blankly at her with his bulgy yellow eyes, his pupils, or strange rectangular slits. The silence stretched, and Thumbelina slowly started to back away until the shift in weight caused the lily pad to begin to get unbalanced. The mother frog seemed to sense things weren't going very well and excused them to prepare their nice mud hole for Thumbelina and her son to live in after the wedding. Thumbelina shivered with horror. She did not want to marry the frog, especially not one she had just met, but what could she do? She was trapped on the lily pad and at the complete mercy of her captors. She knew it wouldn't help anything. She knew it was immature, but she cried. She sobbed with fear at the loss of her freedom and her future. That's when she felt a bump and another bump bump, and then the lily pad bobbed and began to drift. A fish popped to the surface, and he gently nudged the leaf, eyes darting to the frog's nest, then back to the leaf, and nudged it again. Finally, she understood. He had chewed through the stem of the lily pad to set her free. Thumbelina dried her tears and thanked him, overjoyed. She took the sash of her dress and tied it to a passing butterfly, who was able to tug her along until the pond became a spring. She felt the leaf began to move more and more quickly and was just about to celebrate her progress when someone grabbed her. Two hard, scratchy, black, shiny limbs slapped over her mouth and four more clasped tightly around her waist. So tightly, in fact, that the pain distracted her from the fact that she had been lifted off the lily pad and was being hauled roughly up into the trees. She couldn't help but feel sad for the butterfly, even in her distress. She knew that without her there to untie him, he would probably die of exhaustion and fall into the water. It seemed so unfair, and she had never meant to be cruel. In her regret, 
She made a promise to herself that from then on she would do her best to help and do no harm from then on. She was so distraught that she didn't even eat the honey that the beetle offered her once he had plopped her down on a high branch. The beetle watched her, his joints clicking as he fidgeted, his sharp jaw opened as if he was about to speak when a large group of other beetles landed on the branch. That's her, said the biggest one. What's wrong with her skin? Are those teeth? Ew, she looks like a human. Does it sweat? Does it stink? This is your wife? The beetle who stole her shuffled uncomfortably. But, but she's pretty. And the other beetle, beetles brushed at her dress and skirts. What's wrong with her exoskeleton? It's not even shiny. The beetle stared at her, a new look of disgust in his eyes. She's squishy. She'll bear you weak larvae. Fine. The beetle scooped her up and plopped her roughly on the ground. He didn't even meet her eyes. You were supposed to make the guys jealous. I was supposed to have the most beautiful wife. I don't want to be saddled with some ugly, weak-limbed worm thing that isn't even good enough to be a human, let alone a beetle larva. Ugh. So much for that plan. Look, you're just going to have to fend for yourself. I can't be seen with a... with... with you. Um, that's... All right? Thumbelina was confused. It all happened before she had time to process any of it. She turned tail and ran before the beetle would change his mind. Time to go home. Thumbelina survived till the end of the summer and all the way through the fall by eating berries and drinking from dewdrops until it started to get cold. Really cold. Her skin was so cold that it felt as though someone had sandpapered it. She was raw and painful, as though... Her skin had been stretched too tight. She had a raging headache that radiated from her frozen forehead. Her eyelids felt so unbearably heavy, but as she opened them, she saw a glint of light from a nearby mound of soil. It was the nest of a field mouse. The field mouse welcomed Thumbelina into her home. She fed Thumbelina, and in and even decided to let her stay as long as she would cook and clean for her. Thumbelina looked around. The small hole had an earthen walls and a warm yellow glow from the roaring fire. Thick rugs covered the floor. It was cozy and warm and cheerful and seemed like a great deal to her. Sadly, servanthood was apparently not a high enough price to pay, for as the mouse's neighbor, the mole, came by, he got a familiar gleam in his eye. He began to take Thumbelina for long walks through his tunnels all winter. One day, they saw a large, dead swallow in the tunnel. And off the mole went on his usual intellectual rant about how it was pointless for birds to exist. They have no survival skills, they were fragile, and they spent all of their poor, wretched lives up in the horrible sun singing ear-splitting songs. What was the point of them? Mr. Mole thought there should be a point to everything. He hated the sun, flowers, music, and most of the beautiful things above ground that Thumbelina loved. Mr. Mole was as practical as the beetle had been impractical, and as he ranted, she inspected the poor bird. He was nearly frozen, but he had a pulse. He had gotten a thorn caught in his wing, which had kept him from flying, and he had fainted from the cold. She could relate. 
so she started to secretly sneak into the tunnels and warm him up and help him heal. She made sure to divert her walks with the mole away from the swallow that he hated so much. Mrs. Mouse and Mr. Mole both must have interpreted this differently, however, because one night Mrs. Mouse came around to a uh, touchy topic. I have taken the liberty of arranging a marriage between you and Mr. Mole, she said, as though it were the happiest news there was. Thumbelina was about to tell her that it was a liberty, and she had no right to take it. But Mrs. Mouse continued, he has such a full pantry, and his house is so warm, and he just has the best of everything. Well, I'm not sure we have much in common, Thumbelina started. Well, what does that have to do with it? He can keep you safe and warm and comfortable your whole life. Mrs. Mouse went on and on until eventually Thumbelina, remembering her brush with death at winter, reluctantly agreed. That night, Thumbelina went into the tunnels to say goodbye to the swallow, and as she set him free, he listened to her story and offered to take her away. But she felt that it might be ungrateful to Mrs. Mouse, who had been so kind. He left, sad for her. Is that a sunburn? Mrs. Mouse asked, stroking Thumbelina's cheeks. What? jumped Mr. Mole. Foolish child, he chuckled at her expense. Have no fear. Once we are wed, the sun will never harm you again. How come? He chuckled. Because it's safer in my tunnels, and with my eyes, it'll be much more practical for us to stay there. You mean, I can never see the sun or flowers again? Thumbelina couldn't imagine anything worse. Of course, filthy things. We'll close off most of the tunnels the night of the wedding. I can't think of a better way to spend our honeymoon. Thumbelina wept. She wept while she helped the spiders weave her dress. She wept while they made her cake. And she wept as she climbed to the surface to see the sun for the last time. She lamented as she said goodbye to everything she loved in life, growing more and more panicked and broken with each sob until... Swoop! The swallow scooped her up and carried her away. I had a feeling you'd change your mind, he said, so I figured I'd stick around. Together they flew over mountains and oceans until they reached a huge white mansion surrounded by a garden of flowers. He shuffled nervously as he told her that he can stay here with she can stay here with him if she wants to. Here they would be safe from predators in winter. He swooped over flowers and told her to pick her favorite one for her new home. She chose a large, deep blue one near the center, surrounded by beautiful red poppies and white lilies. However, when she entered the flower, she found a tiny man in there. He was handsome and had large wings sprouting from his back. He was the king of the flower fairies, and when he saw her, he was stunned by her beauty. He took the crown from his head and placed it on hers and proposed marriage. <laughs> Shocker by now, right, audience? She agreed and asked the swallow to sing at their wedding. He sang his little heart out, and after the ceremony, the king changed Thumbelina's name to Maya, as it was a much prettier name than Thumbelina. The swallow, however, left the garden after the wedding, even though it was his home, because he too loved the tiny girl and could not bear to watch her be happy with someone else. He flew away, singing her story to all who would listen, including the author of this tale. So that was the story of Thumbelina. It's kind of bittersweet. It's kind of funny how every single character 
wants to marry her, and in some versions of the tale, the swallow becomes friends with her much, much earlier, as early as the lily pad and the toads, and so um, they develop this strong friendship, and so a lot of authors think that really she should have uh, married the swallow instead of the prince, because she actually took the time to get to know him and have a relationship. But uh, I think kind of they're missing the point. The point is that she chose to accept the prince rather than him being forced upon her by friends or family members. When retelling this tale, I did make a couple changes of my own, specifically that the first half I focused more on the mother. She actually has an incredibly tiny role in the story that Anderson tells. She just kind of... Uh, disappears after the first couple paragraphs and I just thought that that was kind of sad kind of a bum deal and so I, I went ahead and added more in there for her and elaborated a little more just because the whole point of the story is talking about how kindness helps Thumbelina out of a lot of her difficulties but at the same time the kindness of the mother is never rewarded so I thought I'd at least give her a little more attention because while a lot of people focus on how sad the unrequited love of the swallow is in the story. I think the love of the mother is perhaps a little bit more tragic, really. Um, there are a couple different versions of the story, even though it's a fairly recent story. In some versions, Thumbelina's name is different, which should be fairly obvious since the story comes from you know, um, from the Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. So a lot of times in translations, the store, um, the names and stuff change. However, also Little Ellie is one of the names often given to Thumbelina, which is why I chose Ellie for the name of her mother. Sometimes the fairy king is the fairy prince. Sometimes he's the spirit of the fairies. Sometimes he's the angel of the fairies. But overall, same kind of deal. I think, again, that this is probably just kind of a translation issue. Um, sometimes the mouse is male, sometimes it's female, sometimes it gets Thumbelina to marry the mole by threatening to kill her with, you know, aggressive biting, which I guess if you're only an inch and a half to two inches tall and a mouse is usually three or four, that would be pretty terrifying. So I tried to leave some of that, uh, out of this one just because I've heard, heard it told either way. Sometimes the mouse is, is very threatening and sometimes the mouse is just a lot of pressure and since in my version I kept the field mouse female I think women like to use peer pressure social pressure and bullying more than physical violence so I think if I had gone ahead and told the version of the tale where the field mouse is male I probably would have gone down that more aggressive road so it really I changed it based on the character Fun fact, Jodie Benson, the voice of Ariel in The Little Mermaid, is the voice of Thumbelina in the Warner Brothers slash Fox movie. So if the voice sounds really, really familiar, um, she's probably just reminding you of another very famous princess. The swallow in this story may be symbolic of Hans Christian Andersen himself, because he tells the tale to Hans Christian Andersen in the story. Also, because swallows are kind of a migratory bird, and Andersen was traveling a lot in his life at the time that he told this particular story. So a lot of people think that because the swallow is kind of an outsider looking in and tends to migrate back and forth a lot, that he may have been symbolic of the author himself. A lot of this is also 
commentary on arranged marriage, which was very, very common in the time of Hans Christian Andersen, but it was not something he agreed with, which was kind of a unusual opinion for someone to have in that day, but he was strongly against arranged marriage. And so the whole, you know, running into a million different animals and stuff that want to marry her, but she finally gets to have the final say in who she agrees to, was part of that theme where Anderson thought, you know, if you went ahead and actually got to choose who you spent your life with, that you would often be a lot happier during your life, which was, you know, it seems obvious now, but it was a hugely controversial opinion at the time. So I guess my question for the week is, what do you think? Do you have any other interpretations of what different characters and things like that could mean in Thumbelina? And do you glean any sort of different meanings from it? What did you think of the story? If you'd like to get more original story content, you can become one of my patrons at patreon.com slash southernfried. Goodness, if I could say it. Too many SHs. <laughs> um, from there, if you... Uh, for as little as $10, if you become one of my patrons, I will go ahead and include you on my own original story that I'll be publishing on Patreon every Wednesday. For a $1 membership, you get more um, kind of exclusive photos of my own travels and adventures as I've started my new life down here in South Carolina. And you know, I'm getting to see all and do all kinds of new things, so I thought I'd share some of that with my patrons as well. If you just want more tales like this for our free content Fridays, you can find me on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and of course, Patreon, where these episodes are public on Patreon. You don't have to become a, pub, a paying member to listen to the podcast on Fridays. That's just for the original content on Wednesdays and for the exclusive photos. So you can also follow me on the Southern Fried Storytime page on Facebook. And thank you so much for tuning in today. It really was a pleasure for me to dive a little deeper into this story, kind of uh, do my own little scripting and interpretation of it, and see what I could glean from its meaning. And I'm excited to hear what you guys think as well. And have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.